Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. God has reached out to the world in His mercy and grace to bring us salvation. This salvation means forgiveness of our sin, a relationship with God, hope of eternity with God, the hope of a glorified body where our bodies are changed into the likeness of the risen Christ, a body fitted for everlasting life and fellowship with God. This offer of salvation comes to us on the condition of trusting in Christ. Believe in Christ and you shall be saved. Jesus Christ died for our sins and we trust him for salvation. The offer of salvation is also a permanent offer. The Lord Jesus in his words recorded in John's Gospel says, He who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And every believer is secure in God's hands. No one can snatch us out of God's hand. So God receives those who turn to him in grace and a commitment of bringing them into everlasting relationship. So sometimes it is puzzling to us, uh, a challenge to us when some passages suggest or they even warn against going away from this salvation. One such statement is present in Paul's epistle to the Galatians that we have been going through in chapter 5, verse 4. Speaking to Christians in Galatia who have somewhat tolerated a heretical teaching of which of adding the works of the law to faith in Christ, he says in verse 4, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So this sort of warning is rather important. That is, to come to Christ is to receive the gospel in its simplicity and then to continue in that confidence. If one is to turn to Christ but then back away, then the initial turning to him leaves questions about how committed, how serious and genuine it was. In some ways, our continuation of faith in Christ is evidenced by our continuing to seek God and seek to live as children of God. It is also evidenced by staying in the faith as regards doctrine, by continuing to hold on to core beliefs of the faith concerning what we are, who God is, and what Christ has done for us, and who he is. So this is also evidence in other parts of the New Testament. When, for example, the Apostle John, writing in 1 John, would say about people who embraced a heresy concerning Jesus, seems to be a teaching that denied his true humanity, that and left the church saying that they were not part of us. We know that they were not part of us because they left us. So here in warning the Galatians, he is speaking hypothetically that if you do truly 
compromise the gospel by adding the works of the law in terms of external regulations as sort of a requirement of salvation, you have nullified the gospel. And this nullification of the gospel then amounts to you are no longer being in Christ because you are not relying on what he has done, but you're also relying on doing the deeds of the law to secure your righteousness. So in that frame of mind, you can be described as those who have severed themselves from Christ. If you seek a right standing with God on the basis of your own works and deeds, then indeed, Paul says, you have fallen away from grace. This is what Bible, at least the scriptural reference to falling from grace is. Sometimes we think about falling from grace as a form of apostasy, either sinful conduct in life. I mean, one could use the term that way if one chooses. The use here in the epistle to the Galatians about falling from grace is really adding the works of the law, adding rules and regulations which must be kept, somehow relying on them as means of getting a right standing before God in addition to the work of Christ. That would be falling from grace. Rely entirely on the grace of God. Christ has done all that is necessary for us. Trust in it completely. We ought to live righteous lives. We ought to live pure lives because Christ makes us God's children. Through faith, we are children of God. If I'm a child of God, I must act like a child of God. I must reflect the character of God. But the one that makes me right with God is Christ himself. I shouldn't really ask the question, should I not still continue in sin because after all, Christ is my righteousness? Paul, in other places, actually tells us that is contrary to the logic of having come to Christ. When I come to Christ, I am acknowledging that sin is bad. I am acknowledging that I need forgiveness. I am acknowledging that I can only find righteousness in Christ. We are also saying, really, the life of God is the good life. To be righteous and pure is the better state to be. Therefore, I should not still want to wallow in sin as if that is okay. It is better for me to be righteous and pure and seeking to do things which are pleasing to God. They don't earn me salvation. They simply manifest my standing before God as his child. So in Galatians chapter 5, having said this, in verses 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul says this, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We want righteousness. How do we get righteousness? Righteousness we receive as a gift. I'm not going to consider myself better than other Christians, more righteous than other Christians, or in fact, in better favor with God than other Christians simply because I keep external regulations. Here he speaks about circumcision or keeping special religious days or other observances or participating in things like the Lord's Supper or what's called a Mass. These things do not improve our standing of righteousness. To be baptized is a necessary and proper thing because Christ commanded it, the apostles performed it, and it is identification with Christ, but it does not improve my standing with God. It is merely my testimony that I now belong to Christ. I have 
lined up behind him. He is the Savior, my leader. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to follow him. That's what it means. It is not a deed I do to be more spiritual or more accepted by God, somehow conferring me a better standing. I like to remember the Lord Jesus in communion week after week, regularly, because he commanded it, it and it is good for me to remember what he has done for me. But participation in the Lord's Supper does not improve my standing with God. It doesn't make me more righteous than I am otherwise through the blood of Christ. It is simply a blessing ordained so that, you know, my own mind, which can wander and be distracted and led away from Christ, is brought to focus again and follow after him. So this is an important distinction to have in mind. The Apostle Paul asks the Galatians, what happened to them? He says in verse 7, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You are running well, Galatians. You had embraced the gospel in its simplicity, trusted in Christ, came into a relationship with God, saw the manifestations of the Spirit. You received the gift of God's Spirit who cries out from your heart out to God as, O Father, which means that you have already received the adoption of sons. All of this came to you through faith and faith alone. You are running well. But somehow, somebody has gotten onto the track and is trying to trip you up. Who hindered you, he says, from obeying the truth? Some people have come into the Galatian churches with this false teaching and corruption of the gospel. So he says in verse 8, This persuasion is not from him who calls you. The addition of the works of the law to the gospel is not something God has done. We should add to this also other human additions to the gospel, which neither come from the Old Testament nor from the teaching of the apostles. These would be you know, modern additions of how one might dress appropriately, uh, whether facial hair makes you more righteous or less righteous. Believe me, there are some people who think it is more godly to be clean-shaven, and they would probably not approve of ministers who would want to have a mustache. There are others who believe that purity is shown by only wearing white clothing. None of these has any basis anywhere in Scripture. And they are not harmless. They distort our notion and understanding of justification. They distort the gospel. I am very familiar with people who absolutely forbid Christians to wear any form of adornment, particularly for women, no rings, not even a wedding ring, no necklaces, nothing on your ears. Now, the Bible does have teaching about what true beauty is, but it does not legislate these things into a form of outward righteousness, which is necessary then for you to be approved to belong to the community of God's people as a precondition for baptism, as a precondition for participation in the Lord's Supper. This is a Galatian heresy. This is the addition of external works for with the association of righteousness, that somehow you are more righteous if only you avoid some things that others Take. These things are harmless in themselves. It is one thing to have a right heart attitude about 
what is ultimately significant? What is true beauty? What is true adornment? What should I really be concerned about before God? What is the true state of the heart? These are important questions. We want to have a clean heart. We want true inner beauty to characterize us. But when people are quarrelsome, systematic, dividing among themselves, fighting, entertaining all kinds of rivalry, competition, malice, envy, jealousy, they resort to gossip, slander, and all of these are parts of life. And at the same time, they wear only white clothes, wear no precious metal, and they think they are somehow more righteous than those who wear more colors or wear some jewelry on themselves. They are deceiving themselves. They have misunderstood the gospel. They have fallen into the error that the people who are adding the works of the Lord to the gospel were seeking to do. You have misunderstood righteousness. You have misunderstood what Christ has accomplished. You have misunderstood the new standing of maturity and adulthood, so to speak, in spiritual terms, in relation to God. And we are brought into that adulthood and maturity through the gospel, through faith, but in Christ. You're going back, in fact, to ordinances and rules and regulations which are not even contemplated in Scripture. And he says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You have been corrupted by this false teaching. And the right thing to do with leaven, especially in Sabbath and the Passover, is to clean it out, remove the leaven. And he is coming back to the previous lesson he gave from illustration from the life of Abraham. He says, cast out the born woman and her son. They shall not be heirs with the one of promise. So here he is exhorting the Galatians to cast out the false teachers from their midst. And that's what Christians ought to do. Cast out the false doctrine and do not allow people from propagating such doctrines in the community of God's people. Cast out the leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.